the gospel, the good news, is far, far more than simply your sins being forgiven. Now, don't get me wrong. The good news of Christ, his suffering, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his coming again, it, it is the forgiveness of your sins, all your sins taken away. But the good news is even more than that. I might even say it is infinitely more than only having your sins taken away. And that is what I hope we see here in our text from Galatians chapter 3. And I want to actually start with verse 10, which we heard just a moment ago, where Paul writes this, and these might be kind of, again, harsh-sounding words. That all who rely, and that's a key word, rely, on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the law. Now again, that's harsh sounding. What does it mean to be cursed? To be cursed means to be removed from the community of the family of God. To be cursed means to be removed from the presence of God, to no longer have the love of God. To be cursed is indeed to be lost, forsaken forevermore. Again, those are very hard words to hear but again, the premise here, what Paul says, is all those who rely on the law are under this curse. All those who rely not on God and his grace, but all those who rely on themselves, on their own perceived goodness, on their own perceived righteousness, all who rely on themselves, in other words, we can say this, that it is not so much your sin that separates you from God. It's not your sin that separates you from God so much as it is the misplaced value we can have of our own righteousness and our own goodness and our own abilities. That we can have too high of a view of ourselves and far too low a view and understanding of who God is. We can have too far too high a view of ourselves. I'm one of the good ones. 
I mean, I'm not like that person I saw on the news last night. I'm not like my neighbor down the street or my coworker. I'm not like that person I read about on the internet. Compared to them, I'm good. But the comparison isn't between you and other fallen human beings. In order to have such a high and lofty view of ourselves and our own goodness, we have to have a very reduced, a much lowered, a much diminished view and understanding of who God actually is. A God who the scriptures say is holy, holy, holy. What does Paul say? He's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 27. Curse be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law. All things. God says, if you want to rely on yourself and on your own goodness, he says, be ye holy as I am holy. That's the standard. The Pacific Ocean is nine over 9,000 miles wide. Three swimmers. The one swimmer doesn't know how to swim. He makes it five feet into the Pacific Ocean, he drowns, and he dies. The second swimmer swam in high school, is pretty good. He actually makes it 10 miles into the Pacific Ocean, he drowns, and he dies. The third swimmer holds the world record for marathon ocean swimming. I didn't even know that was a thing. Marathon ocean swimmers, they use uh, the tides, they use the currents, they use the slipstream. The world record, it's some guy from Croatia, I can't pronounce his name, the world record of ocean marathon swimming is 120.5 miles. So let's say he has a good day. Say he makes it 150 miles into the Pacific Ocean and he drowns and he dies. Now the question is, between all of those three swimmers, which one is the most dead? <laughs> the first, someone said. <laughs> They're all dead. <laughs> Whether you can make it five feet or 10 miles or 150 miles, it is 9,000 miles across. The distance is too great for anyone. What is the distance between you as a sinful human being and the holiness and the glory of God. Far. This is an interactive sermon today. <laughs> it is an infinite chasm, an infinite gulf, an infinite distance between us and the holiness of God. And God says, look, if you want to rely on yourself, if you don't think you need me, if it's all about you, be holy as I am holy. And that's why Paul goes on then in verse 11 of Galatians chapter 3. 
to say that it is evident, it is manifest, it is clear, it should be obvious that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. It is evident that no one, that is a universal negative, not a single one, no one, that includes you, no one is justified, that is made right and holy and just and righteous before God by the law. We can't do it. For the righteous shall live how? By faith. Now, by faith. This is in reference, this is throughout this whole passage, live by faith, by faith. This is in reference to something Paul said back in verse 6 where he speaks about the man of faith, the father of faith, Abraham. And about Abraham, it says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Notice that it says Abraham believed God. It doesn't say Abraham simply believed in God. I mean, he certainly did believe in God. But, you know, Satan believes in God. The demons believe in God. It says very specifically, Abraham believed God, trusted in God, in the promises that God had made to him. Now, let me explain to you how not to read this text. Let me explain to you how not to interpret or understand or apply this text. This is how not to do it. To look at Abraham, the great example, the father of faith, and that Abraham had such an amazing faith in God and such great belief and such great trust in God. It was such a wonderful faith that because of that amazing faith, he actually found favor with God. He had such a great faith and such a strong faith and belief in God that God blessed him and that his faith was the righteousness, was Abraham's righteousness before God. If that's the way you understand it, then faith becomes what? The ultimate work. It becomes another burden. It becomes another thing on our backs. You've got to have enough faith. You better have a strong faith. Do you have enough? It becomes law. It becomes a burden. And that's not what is being said here. It's so much more unexpected, counterintuitive to the way we would normally think, so much more beautiful and comforting what is said here. It says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him. Other translations say credited to him as righteousness. It's not Abraham's righteousness because he had this great amazing faith. It is an alien righteousness. That doesn't mean a righteousness from outer space. An alien righteousness is a righteousness from outside of yourself. It's a righteousness and a goodness that comes from somebody else that is credited, that is counted as your righteousness. It's a legal declaration. 
And faith is simply the conduit, the means. Faith is like the wires in the wall of this sanctuary that carry the electricity which turns on the light. Faith is a conduit, a means by which this righteousness comes to you, that God looks at you today and he declares you to be holy and righteous and perfect and good and beautiful in his eyes. This is why I say that the good news, the gospel, is more than simply having your sins taken away. That's part of it. But the fullness of the gospel is not only that your sins are taken away, but that the righteousness of God himself is given to you. The theological word is the imputation of Christ's righteousness. It is imputed. Fancy word that means you are covered in the righteousness of Christ. It's more than just having your sins taken away and your slate is wiped clean. It's so much more than that. It's like you're a murderer. I don't mean to point you out, Rick. <laughs> Rick, the bass playing murderer here today. It's like we're all murderers on death row and you are guilty. But you've been set free. You've been pardoned. You've been declared not guilty. But then, not only that, the warden invites you over to his house for a fancy dinner and a celebration. He invites you to meet his daughter. He invites you to meet his son, maybe get a, a marriage going. And they even throw a ticker tape parade in your honor. And they are waiting for you, waiting for you to come down just to celebrate you because you are the righteousness and the holiness of God. This is literally what is taking place in the heavenly realms. Even now, they are celebrating over you. How can this be? How can this be? I think it would be really helpful if we went back a little bit to the story of Abraham. We thought, oh, Abraham's a great man of faith, a lot of faith, father of faith, man of faith. But he doubted. He had questions. Genesis chapter 15, God had promised to him to make him a great nation, as numerous as the stars in the sky would be his descendants, a piece of real estate for those descendants to dwell upon, and one day, one of his offspring would be a blessing to all nations, to Jews and Gentiles, the promise of the Messiah. And Abraham said, literally says in verse 8, how can I know? How can I know I'm going to get that land? How can I know this is going to happen to me? And this is what God does. You have to listen to this. Because this is probably strange to us. God says, you want to know how? Here's how. Bring me a heifer three years old. That's a female cow. Bring me a female cow three years old a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abraham brought him all these, cut them in half. He cut a cow in half, and a sheep, a goat, 
And he laid each half of those animals over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abraham, you know, had to drive them away. Get out of here, shoot! Now what is going on? There was literally a cow cut in half. The blood and the intestines and the gore and the sheep and the goat and there's dead birds and it's this pathway of destruction and of blood and of well this is a way in the ancient world of making a covenant or like an official contract business people of the day would have done this you would cut those animals you would make that bloody path and then each person of that covenant or that contract would walk in between the pieces of those dismembered those cut in half animals as a way of saying if I don't keep my side of the bargain, if I don't see, keep my side of the contract, the covenant, may what happened to these animals happen to me. If I don't keep my promises, if I don't keep my side, may what happened to these animals happen to me. It was called a self-maledictory oath. A self-bad thing should happen to me if I don't keep this oath, oath. And so God causes Abraham, it says, to fall into a deep sleep. And then this is what happens next. And if I am ever stranded on a desert island, desert, a deserted island, which one is it? How about a desert island where we can enjoy treats? If I'm ever on an island where I'm all alone by myself, and they say, Scott, you can have one Bible verse. This just might be the one where it says this. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, with Abraham. Flaming torch, smoking fire pot, flame, smoke, always in the Bible that's symbolic of the presence of who? Of God. So now we have God manifesting himself and God moving through the pieces of those destroyed animals. Now what about Abraham? What's Abraham doing? God put him in that deep sleep. Abraham is completely passive. Abraham does nothing. Abraham does not pass through those pieces of the animals. Only God himself passes through the pieces of the animals. So what is God saying in this? He is saying, Abraham and to all his descendants, he's saying, look, if I don't keep my promises to you, may what happened to these animals happen to me, God. But because God is the only one who goes through, Abraham doesn't go through. What God is also saying to Abraham and all his descendants, he's saying, Abraham, if you and your people do not keep your side of the covenant, may what happened to these pieces also happen to me. God takes both sides 
Abraham, if you and your descendants fail to live up to the law, to the covenant, to the promises, may what happened to these animals not happen to you, but to me, the creator of the universe. Which is why Paul then says, back to Galatians chapter 3, here in verse 13, that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Cursed is everyone hanged on a tree. God himself took on the curse. The Son of God took on the curse, was forsaken, was separated, Think about it. The infinite love of God the Father, the infinite love of God the Son was torn apart on the cross like those animals had been torn apart in the covenant that God had made all those years ago. God took on the curse on himself so that you might know you have received the blessing. You are covered in his righteousness. Let me summarize it this way. There are some, maybe some of you, who have too high of a view of yourself, too high of a view of your own goodness and your own wonderfulness, and to low a view of God and how holy and awesome he really is. You have a misplaced value on your own righteousness, but I know there are some of you. There are some of you who have too high of a view of your sinfulness. Sin which can produce guilt and shame. Guilt is when you say, I have done things that are bad, but shame is when you say, I am bad. I am a bad person. There are some of you, and this is the, where the enemy wants us to be, you have such a high view of your sin and that shame, and you have a very low view of the atonement, of the sacrifice, of the love of Jesus Christ for you. And that needs to be flipped upside down. You are not your sin, whatever it is. You are the righteousness of Christ. Martin Luther said it this way. I lost my quote. I'll read it. When I look at myself, I don't see how I can be saved. But when I look at Christ, I don't see how I can be lost. I look at myself, I don't see how I can be saved. Look to Christ and see how you can never be lost. You are his. Not only is your sin atoned for, your sin taken away, 
but you are covered, you are declared to be holy and righteous and perfect and beautiful right now in the eyes of your heavenly Father whose arms are wide open today. He's running to you. He's running to you. He doesn't care what it is. He says, come home to me, and he takes you in his arms, and it doesn't say, now get to work. He says, we're throwing a party, and we're having a celebration over you. To Christ alone be all the glory.